Let me just remind you that today, if you're interested in Easter baptisms, we've got people scheduled for all three services. And so if you're ready to go public uh, with Jesus Christ this Easter, uh, on the side of your connection card, there's a little box you can check off. Say, hey, I'm ready to go public and be baptized this Easter. Today's the last day to turn that in. All of our baptismal candidates uh, require a pastoral interview. And so if you're interested in taking that next step and going public, check that off sometime. And then there'll be baskets when you leave. You can drop that one of the baskets on your way out today. Well, this morning, I just want to take a few moments and uh, prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. And if you're here and you're a baptized believer, I welcome you to participate with us. If that does not currently describe you, then just pass the elements to the person next to you and consider all that you hear and what next step God may have you to take in your own spiritual journey. For the last several weeks, we've been walking through uh, this third section of the Gospel of Mark and examining uh, Jesus' final days, his Passion Week, his Holy Week, whichever term that you like helps you remind you of those truths. And then, spoiler alert, uh, next week for Easter, we're going to be in chapter 16, the resurrection. I just thought it would be appropriate to land there on Easter Sunday. But this morning, we're going to go back to some verses we uh, intentionally skipped over so that we could save them for today. And those verses are in Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 27. So if you've got a Bible, phone, tablet, whatever you're using, uh, I encourage you to turn there with me to Mark chapter 14. I made a conscious decision uh, several years ago uh, that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we would do two things. Uh, Number one, we would make it the central focus of the worship service as opposed to tacking it on quickly at the end of service because it's something we have to do, uh, we feel obligated to do. Uh, Several years ago, I was on vacation and visited an area church, and I remember uh, the final thing the pastor said is, he said, hey, as you're leaving today, uh, there's some juice and crackers on the table. If that helps you think about Jesus this week, we invite you to take those with you. When I read the scripture, uh, there seems to be a different approach that is required when we come to the Lord's table and worship around it. And so the second commitment we made is that also uh, it would be uh, celebratory. Now, some of you have taken the Lord's Supper dozens of times, hundreds of times, maybe even a thousand times, I'm not sure. And if you've ever taken the Lord's Supper, then there is a chance that when you've participated, it's been more like a funeral than a celebration. And so, yes, we do pause and give thanks for the Lord's sacrifice on our behalf. Yes, we examine ourselves as the Scripture calls us to, and that's a serious thing. But the Bible also says that every time we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. There is an element of victory and celebration around the message of the Lord's Supper. Yes, He died, but the tomb is empty. And so that's why we always come back at the end after celebrating the Lord's Supper and worship again. It is a proclamation of victory and his soon coming. And so let me set the scene for you a little bit. Mark chapter 14, uh, Jesus had gathered his disciples in the upper room. Uh, Judas, Judas by this point had already left to uh, betray Jesus. And so the only people left in the room were Jesus' true disciples. And so verses 12 through 16 kind of describe the scene here. It says, now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent them out, two of his disciples, and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you. A large upper room, furnished and prepared, there make ready for us. 
And so his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. And so there's Jesus uh, sitting around with his uh, remaining disciples at that point. Uh, He did something very different than what they were used to at that point in time. This was not the first time they had celebrated the Passover. They had done this since the first Passover all the way up to this point in time. So they knew the routine. They knew what was going on. They knew the symbolism of all the, what was on the table. And so for us, when we read the account here, we're like, well, that's normally how it plays out. But for them, this would have been incredibly shocking what plays out here in the upper room. This was like no other Passover meal they had ever celebrated up until that point. Look at verses 22 through 25, and I'm going to show you this. In verse 22, it says this, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, And gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, now we read that, especially if you've been in church, you're like, hey, well, what's so weird about that? Like, that, that's kind of what we've done for years. That's, you know, growing up in church, that's what we did. I don't see anything abnormal about this passage. I certainly don't see anything shocking about this passage. This seems normative to what I'm used to in the Lord's Supper. You got a cup, you got a bread, here's what it represents. What's so shocking about this passage? Let me just uh, assure you. That when Jesus said what he said in these verses, they would have been astounded. They would have been completely shocked because in saying these words and what Jesus said here in these verses, Jesus had just broken over a thousand years of tradition in how they celebrated the Passover. He completely rewrote the meaning of the meal and the order of the Passover meal. If the Jewish leaders had been in the room Uh, When he said these things, they would have ripped their clothes, screamed at the top of their lungs, proclaiming uh, that he was a heretic. And so so why the, the response here? Why the shock here? And so to understand why this was so radical, you have to understand what the original Passover meal was like and what the order was to understand what Jesus is saying here. And so uh, the reality is, uh, if you've ever seen a Jews for Jesus presentation, you've seen some of those elements, you kind of understand that a little bit. But I want to paint a little clearer picture about what was so different. And I read uh, some things this week from two pastors and authors. It helped me even see some things that I had not seen before. And so I think this will be helpful to you as well to prepare for the Lord's Supper. So let me describe for you the original Passover meal that they were used to up to this point in time. For ancient and present day Jews, the Passover, it's an annual meal and it celebrates a defining moment in Israel's history. It was not a simple meal like juice and crackers like we would have. Uh, It was a substantial meal with lots of intentional elements. It was a meal that told the story of the Jewish people. And so back in the day in the Old Testament, the Jews were uh, enslaved by the Egyptians. It was a horrible time of oppression uh, for them. And so the Passover was to remind them that our God delivered us from that time of slavery and oppression in Egypt under Pharaoh. And so that's what Jesus was doing that night with his disciples, although they didn't realize it at this point in time. He said, hey, basically, 
that I am the Passover, and I'm about to deliver you from slavery as well, but it's not slavery from the Egyptians, it's slavery from your sin. But they didn't totally understand that at this point, so they just thought, hey, we're having a regular Passover meal like we've done tons of times. And so Jesus used a Passover meal to teach them something familiar, to teach them something new, as he often did. Now, when they would celebrate the Passover, God basically gave them two commands. Number one, he said, you should do this every single year. And so that that practice is still held by Jews today. They do this every single year. And the second thing was this. Not only should you do it every year, you should do it the exact same way every single time. And so here's what happened, that, that Passover meal. Head of the household would stand up and he would walk his family through all the elements in the Passover meal and use it as a teaching tool, reminding them of all the facets of the Exodus and God's deliverance from Egypt. The people of God have been doing this the same way every single year since the very first Passover all the way until the upper room with his disciples. Jesus' disciples were Jewish And so they would have known the order and the meaning of every part of the meal by heart. They could have led this meal by themselves apart from Jesus' leadership. Yet on this night, Jesus, the head of the house, stands up for the first time in the history of the Jewish people, broke tradition, and did Passover completely different than had ever been done before. Now here's what they would have been used to. In celebrating the Passover meal, uh, there would have been four cups placed on the table. Each one had a meaning. Each one represented four promises recorded for them in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. So each cup had a different meaning drawn out of Exodus 6. The first cup represented the promise that God was going to rescue his people from Egypt. That's what the first cup was. The second cup represented the promise that he would free them from slavery. He says, hey, I'm going to deliver you from this land, and I'm also going to deliver you from oppression. The third cup was the promise that he was ultimately going to redeem them, not by their power, but by his power. This third cup was what was known as the cup of blessing. And it is the cup symbolically represented when we participate in the Lord's Supper. So when you take the Lord's Supper today, that cup is representative of the third cup or the cup of blessing in the original Jewish Passover meal. Fourth cup was the cup of future promise that God would restore a relationship with his people in a future promise and at some point in time. But here's what's interesting. So they would have known this order by heart, but yet in the fourth, when it comes to the fourth cup, Jesus says, we're not doing that this time. They would have been astounded. Jesus says that will be for a future time in a future kingdom at an event called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. I don't have time to even get into that, but he said there will be a time in my future kingdom where we'll drink again of this fourth cup, but not now. Look at verse 25. That's what that means. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He said, hey, that fourth cup you're used to, that's a future thing now. It would have blown away. And so the head of the household would stand up and hold up the first cup and remind his family that God was going to rescue them from Egypt. And then he would pass the cup around. They all would drink from that cup. I don't know if you're a germaphobe, you're like, oh, just it's okay. Each person would drink from that cup and remember that promise from God. And then they would pick up the second cup and they would do the same thing. 
But before he went to the third cup, he would grab some unleavened bread. Now, why was it unleavened bread, bread that uh, had, did not rise? And Because it was symbolic. When the scripture says they fled, it says they fled. They hastily fled. And so it's a reminder, the bread didn't even have time to rise. Some people taught that the leaven in the bread was symbolic of sin. And so, but ultimately, a point says, reminding, we didn't have time to, to, to let the bread rise. We made haste in our flee of deliverance. And so he would hold up this bread, and he would break it. And he would remind them that, that in the original Passover meal, that bread was known and stood for the bread of affliction. And when they took it, they would stop, and they would pause, and they would remember the affliction of their forefathers and the slavery that they went through in Egypt. And so that's all they'd ever know. This is what the bread means. This is what it should point us to. This is what it should remind us of. And so imagine their shock. That for the first time in over a thousand years, Jesus breaks that tradition in regards to what the bread points to in verse 22. Look at verse 22. What's he say? And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And what they were used to is, hey, this should remind us of the affliction of our fathers. But that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said is this in verse 22. Take, eat. This is my body. In the Greek, it reads, take, because I am myself this bread. Their jaws would have dropped. From now on, the broken bread no longer represented the affliction of their forefathers taken on by the people of God. It now represented Jesus' body and the truth that he would take on the affliction of the people of God so they wouldn't have to anymore. The traditional Passover meal didn't stop there. After this, the head of the household would pick up some bitter herbs and they'd all eat them to remind them of the bitterness of slavery while they were in Egypt. But Jesus skipped over that too. He said, hey, that fourth cup, nope. The bread and what it symbolizes, nope. The bitter herbs, nope. He just skips over that. Why? Because in doing so, Jesus was saying the new kingdom he was establishing would once and for all take away the bitterness of the people of God from their slavery because he was setting them free from slavery to their sin. Finally, head of the house would stand up and serve the main course, a lamb. And that lamb that had been taken to the temple, ritually slaughtered and then roasted, and as they ate it, the head of the house would tell them the story of why they ate it. The lamb which had been killed that morning reminded them of the first Passover night when they were still slaves in Egypt. God, in an act of justice, on the Egyptian Pharaoh decided he would send an angel of death to kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians, but also of all the Israelites. And he said, hey, but, but in my mercy, I'm willing to offer you my people in exchange, a substitute, if you will. And he said, if you'll take the blood of that lamb that you're used to roasting and celebrating with, and you'll take the blood and you'll wipe it on the doorpost, that when the angel of God comes through to kill all the firstborn, when he sees the blood on the doorpost from that lamb, he will pass over your house. That's why it was called the Passover. Here's what's crazy. Jesus skips the herbs, and he skips the fourth cup, and he changes the meaning of the bread, and then the main thing, the lamb, there's no mention of it. 
Why would he skip the most important part of the Passover meal? Here's why. Jesus was trying to show his disciples that he was the lamb. They would never again have to kill a lamb for have their sins judged. That he was the lamb. Jesus is God's great exchange. He is God's once and forever substitute. That's why John the Baptist later would say, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus said, you don't have to kill a lamb anymore. I am the lamb. After breaking the bread, Jesus moves to the third cup. Look at verses 23 and 24. What's he say? And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. He said, you no longer have to shed the blood of a spotless lamb to atone for your sins. That old system is being replaced through my blood on your behalf as a ransom for many. That's why 1 Corinthians 5 says this, Christ is our Passover. The whole Passover meal points to Jesus, the lamb, who takes away the sins of the world. And so it is with deep gratitude and a hunger for holiness that we ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts to celebrate this sacred meal and all that it points to the gospel under the banner of these words in 1 Corinthians 11, which says this, But let a man examine himself, and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, and sleep is a euphemism there for death. For if we would judge ourselves or examine ourselves, we would not be judged. And so it is that time of examination, asking the Spirit of God to search our hearts that we always should engage in before we come and celebrate around the sacred meal and the sacred table known as the Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me this morning. And I'm going to invite you to ask the Spirit of God to search your heart And as he does, he may lead you to a few different places and convictions. One, as the Spirit of God examines your heart, it may be time to come and realize you've been delaying obedience in some area. Maybe like baptism or some other step that God's been requiring of you, asking of you as his follower. And so if that, if the Spirit's searching your heart, would you just acknowledge that today and say, Lord... I'm making commitment right now to take a step of obedience, whatever that is. For some of you, as the Lord searches your heart, it may not be something that you're neglecting to do that's good. It's something you're repeating to do that's sin. And so God may lead you to a place of confession and repentance away from that sin as you come to the Lord's table, and maybe even reconciliation with someone else. And yet still for others, God may be using this moment to lead you to the place of salvation. That as you're taught and reminded about what these elements represent, you've come to the awareness that you've never received Jesus Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so maybe you come today and say, I receive the Lamb today and His forgiveness. 
And so God may lead you to a place of obedience. God may lead you to a place of repentance. God may lead you to a place of salvation today. And whatever it is, would you just humbly submit as we ask the Lord to search our hearts collectively this morning. God, I pray this morning that in this time of examining ourselves in partnership with the Holy Spirit, that God, whatever it is you've brought to our minds this morning, delayed obedience, disobedience, salvation, God, that we would humbly submit and that, God, we would come to this table thankful at the sacrifice of our Lord. And so, God, as we take these elements this morning, may you be pleased with our worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As our deacons distribute the elements this morning, if you're gluten-free, grab the crackers in the middle, and they're going to lead us in a time of worship. So I pray the words of this song will allow you to continue to meditate on what these elements represent this morning.
God, my yesterday is gone. Praise God. Well, Brad alluded to this morning uh, this narrative of this young nation of Israel that God had led out of hundreds of years of slavery uh, under the Egyptians. And despite their unbelief, in Exodus chapter 16, the Lord reveals his plan to physically care for and to actually feed his children. And he does this with the hopes that they grow in their trust of him. So let me read you just a couple verses from Exodus 16. Verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test their trust in me. Now the house of Israel called this bread manna. It was like a coriander seed. It was white and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years until they came to the border of their new land. Little did the children of Israel know that this bread from heaven was actually a foreshadowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was 2,000 years later, Jesus was teaching on a hillside. He had just performed the miracle of feeding uh, thousands and thousands of people. And he, he's speaking there in John 6, and he references this manna that the children of Israel had eaten in the wilderness. Listen to what Jesus said. Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever comes to me shall never thirst. You see, this true bread of heaven was something that would nourish people eternally and spiritually, unlike this manna that was only served to meet people's physical needs. I am the bread of life. And so let's bring this full circle this morning as we looked at that time with Jesus uh, and his disciples, what we call the Last Supper. God had literally in the Old Testament provided bread as sustenance to the children of Israel. Now in the New Testament, Jesus says that he is this new bread of heaven, the bread of life. And now Jesus is gathered around with his uh, disciples. This will be their last meal together before his death. And how does he end the meal? As Pastor Brad said, said he stood up, he took the bread, he broke it and prayed over it. And as he held up that bread that evening, I wonder if the symbolism was lost on these disciples. Perhaps they could still hear in their ears Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And so this morning, let's go to prayer as we thank God for providing Jesus as our bread of life. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in awe of the fact that you would choose to send Jesus to earth to die on our behalf, to die on my behalf for my sins. God, I am so thankful for the spotless Lamb of Jesus that came and lived a perfect life and gave his life for me. And so this morning in his death and resurrection, we celebrate the fact that he is our bread of life. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After they had eaten the bread, Jesus picked up the cup and he told the disciples that this cup represents his blood, which is the new covenant. Now, if there is a new covenant, then there has to be an old covenant. And the old covenant was, in the Old Testament, it was based on the law and the bloody sacrificial system. But this new covenant would be based on grace. And it would be sealed, not with the blood of animals, but with the literal blood of Jesus. And so this morning, we not only celebrate that Jesus is the bread of life, but we also celebrate the blood of Jesus that was shed on our behalf. And so let's pause now 
and thank God for this juice that represents the new covenant. Again, Heavenly Father, we come to you with grateful hearts, thankful for the blood of Jesus that was shed on our behalf. And God, we don't understand the mystery how something uh, so crimson could wash our sins white as snow. That's the promise that you give us in Scripture. And so we're grateful this morning for Jesus, his perfect life, being the bread of life, and now for the blood that he shed on our behalf. God, we celebrate life this morning, the life of Jesus and his blood in Jesus' name. Amen. The same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Well, I think it's only fitting as we uh, spend a few more minutes uh, in worship this morning, but let's pause once again and thank God for this ordinance that he's given us in the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, I pray that we will never tire of celebrating Jesus and recognizing the price that he paid for our sins. God, I thank you this morning that while I was dead in my sin, you made me alive, forgiving my sin and canceling the debt of my sin by nailing it to the cross. God, grant us the strength to continue to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.